Good morning. It is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we hope that you have the opportunity to gather with some friends, family, people that you love and care about, spend some time uh, together. And uh, more importantly, we hope that you remember those who have given their lives and given service to this country, and uh, some of whom have lost their lives. Keep them in your uh, thoughts. Uh, Keep their families and loved ones in your prayers. Uh, But it is Memorial Day weekend, uh, a weekend that traditionally launches us into the summer. And uh, we hope you have a good one. We have been studying the book of Revelation. And before we dive in to do exactly that, let's pray. Father God, thank you that it is your spirit that unites us as a church, as a body, And even though we're not meeting together in a building, uh, we are nevertheless offering you our attention and offering you worship and offering you praise. And we would ask God that you would answer this prayer and that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear again from your word and that your Holy Spirit, we would ask, would, would apply it in our lives in ways that change us. Deepen our faith, deepen our trust, help us to walk in obedience faithfully trusting in Jesus more and more. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've been studying the book of Revelation. And John has been writing about the judgment, and as Daniel talked about last week, the wrath of God. And uh, John writes about the seven seals, and he's uh, told us about the seven trumpets. And now we read about seven bowls with seven plagues. And we're told in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, uh, John says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And then believers begin to praise God for his coming justice, his coming wrath. And these chapters that we're looking at are the end of the cycles of seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls with seven plagues, all ending in the climactic battle, which you've heard of, the Battle of Armageddon, where the nations unite and they oppose God and God overcomes them. All these images are really about the same thing. God's wrath and judgment being poured out on those who knowingly or unknowingly serve the dragon and the beast. That is Satan and his servants. And so we pick up this story in Revelation chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. This is what we read. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. And then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets 
and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. That is all of the kings in the Middle East. Uh, and then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. And then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. This is the word of God. And the message that we've just read says simply that the justice of God is coming. And I'll tell you what, deep within every human spirit is an unquenchable longing for that to happen. We all really do want justice. This is a trivial example, but uh, you go to a baseball game, don't you wish? And you watch your favorite player up at the plate, he's at bat. And the pitcher is throwing low and outside, trying not to give him anything to hit. And the umpire is calling everything a strike. So it's one, two, three, strike, you're out. Well, we have a cheer in America for this kind of thing. And we all yell, kill the umpire, kill the umpire. We don't yell, maim the umpire. We don't yell to the umpire to get glasses or anything of that nature. No, we yell, kill the umpire exactly because we want justice. Trivial example. But you know what? Some of our favorite stories are stories about justice. The three little pigs, for example. If you build with the wrong material, there will be a consequence. Justice will come your way. Three, the, the stories of Harry Potter, good versus evil. Evil is punished. Good is rewarded. There is justice that's done in the end. Movies like The Avengers or X-Men or uh, Aquaman or Green Lantern or John Wick or Kill Bill or Gladiator or Unforgiven or True Grit, I could go on and on. They're all about getting even. They're all about punishing evil and bringing justice. We want justice to be done. We love stories where uh, in the end, justice prevails. We don't like it when people are treated unfairly and bad people get away with it. And yet, justice is very elusive in our world. How many of you parents have ever heard your children playing together and one of, the, one of them, you know, pipes up and says, that's not fair. And they come to you for mitigation, right? 
It's not just kids either. The most riveting news stories in our day are stories where people and society are trying to decide about justice. General Michael Flynn, did he get justice? Is he getting justice? Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, stories about police shootings in the papers today. Did they get justice or was there an injustice committed? The 21-year-old woman murdered allegedly by Cornelius Haney, a convict was given early parole and as Almost as soon as he got out, he murdered this 21-year-old woman, or so it's alleged. Was justice done? You see, stories like this get our attention because they cry out for justice. And it just seems like in our world, justice is hard to come by. I read a story about a boyfriend who wanted to be alone with his girlfriend and his girlfriend had a little boy. And to kind of put the boy to sleep, he started giving the little boy alcohol. And he gave him more and more and more until finally the little boy went to sleep. But he didn't just go to sleep. He actually went into a coma and this little boy actually died. That little boy will never grow up and never graduate from school, never discover his calling, never fall in love, never have a family to love of his own. Stories like that in our world happen every day. And when we read them, something just viscerally inside us cries out, that is not fair. That should not happen. Things are not supposed to be that way. And it makes us wonder, what is wrong with this world in which we live? Will things ever be right? It's just another way of asking the question, you know, where is justice? The Apostle Paul is saying to us, don't worry, justice is coming, guaranteed. This is one of the primary themes of the book of Revelation, that justice, the judgment of God is coming. This is the essential meaning of the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, the seven plagues, the battle of Armageddon. If you don't understand this, you don't understand the book of Revelation. We're also, um, we've also seen in this, we've studied this book that these judgments that unfold, the judgments of God, they began early in the book with the seven seals. It was one quarter of the world being judged. And there's a message, a subtext to that. God isn't punishing everyone. He wants people to repent of their sin. And then in the seven trumpets, it's one third of the world being punished. And now in the seven bowls, it's 100%. Uh, in verse three, it said, every living thing is affected by these punishments. I believe the proper way to understand these images is not a chronological series of future events that we're waiting to see happen. And we're supposed to try to figure out how and when these events will happen. I think that completely uh, misinterprets the point that John is making. I think the proper way to understand these series of events and judgments described in the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls is to see them as portraits, expressions, if you will, of the judgments of God in the past, in the present, and even in the future. And to us, these images, when we read them, are kind of scary. But to John's first century readers who were powerless and, and victimized, they experienced so much injustice at the hand of the powers that be, Rome, for example. These images were actually to them very hopeful 
images. They reminded them that God is still in control. Babylon was, of course, an Old Testament power uh, and a kingdom that oppressed God's people, took them off into captivity. And uh, this was a power, Babylon was a power that no one could match, no one could overthrow. It was an unassailable power until God overthrew them. John's readers understood the same thing was going to happen in their day when Rome was in power. Uh, The same thing was going to happen to Nero, Caesar of Rome. The great beast that serves the dragon. You see, Babylon will fall. That's what John is saying. And that had implications in the minds of his readers for the nation that was then in power, the nation of Rome. And of course, uh, we know history, looking back, it did happen. Rome did fall. The bull was poured out on Nero. And one day judgment uh, will come into the world and justice will be done with utter finality. It was then... It's being done in the present. It will happen in finality in the future. And so this morning, in the time that remains, I want to talk with you about what the Bible teaches concerning God's justice, what the Bible teaches concerning the judgment of God. I don't want to do this by asking three questions. The first question is just this, who will judge and how? And the answer is simple. Jesus Christ will judge and he will judge fairly. 2 Timothy 4.1 says that Christ Jesus will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. That day is coming, the day of judgment. John 5.27 says, and he, the father, has given him, Jesus, authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. The point is, Jesus will judge and he will judge fairly. Uh, Look again in Revelation 16, verses 5 through 7. It says, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You see, friends, the testimony of the Bible is that when Jesus judges, he, we will absolutely be amazed at the justness and fairness of his judgment. We'll say that is exactly right. That is exactly the fair thing to do. And this is real important because people ask sometimes, well, what, what about babies who die? What about people who die, but they've never heard about Jesus? And the real question, underlying questions like that, is will God be fair? It's, it's can God be trusted to do what is right? And the Bible says, yes, absolutely. In fact, there really is no fairness apart from God. God himself is the embodiment of fairness. He is uh, incapable of being unfair. But understand, not so with us. We are quite capable of being unfair because we have blind spots. I don't know everything there is to know about you. You don't know everything there is to know about me. I have prejudices that guide my decision making. Those prejudices in almost every case are wrong. And so fairness, justness, Hard to come by in a fallen human being. 
When we judge, uh, we usually judge with a bias. But when we see God's judgment, we will say, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Now, because God is going to judge and he's going to judge fairly, there's an implication in there. And that is that I am not to take judgment into my hands and neither are you. The apostle Paul writes these words. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So when you are hurt, and let's say it's deliberate, let's say it's very unfair, you really have two options. You can forgive or you can get revenge. You can seek vengeance. And human relationships almost run along the lines of the law of seeking revenge or vengeance. That's the way this world runs. Bobby hits Billy. What does Billy do? Well, Billy wants to hit Bobby back, and so he does, just to even the score. Only now Bobby doesn't feel the score is even. And so he needs to enact a, a remedial hit, you know, to get even again and on and on and on that process goes. Because you see, getting even never works. And here's why. It's because the victim and the victimizer never weigh pain on the same scale. They never do. Your pain will always feel greater than the, the, the pain that you receive than the pain that you inflict. Let me say that again. Your pain will always feel greater than the pain that you inflict, inflict on others. You take any war that's ever been fought. Both sides kill each other. Both sides are convinced that their cause is a just cause. And that's true in any disagreement. That's true in any divorce, any lawsuit, any war, you name it. Uh, but here's the deal. The law of vengeance, I will get even. You see, always, always leads to destruction. Destruction of relationships. Destruction of the truth. Destruction of of other people. And again, it's because the victim and the victimizer never weigh pain on the same scale. We can't. Our scale is broken because of our sin. But the doctrine of God's judgment tells me that there will be accountability someday. One day, every wrong ever done, every hurt, Every unfair thing, every injustice, every slander, uh, every lie against man or against God will be avenged. It will be punished. It will be judged and judged fairly on God's perfect scale of justice. And friends, if you reflect on this, this is a comforting thing because uh, I don't need to get even. I don't need to do a payback. Um, now, this same teaching, while comforting in that regard, is also a bit discomforting, when it, uh, even kind of a, a frightening thing, because it also means that my stuff, my sin, my injustices toward you, all those things are going to be judged too. And they're going to be judged 
fairly, not glossed over. And this ought to lead all of us to places of personal repentance. That's where it ought to lead us. But many times it doesn't. You notice in verse 9 and 11 here in chapter 16, it says, but they refused to repent of what they had done. So much of the world refuses to repent of what they had done. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not. But hell will not be filled with repentant people who wish they could be reconciled to God. It's going to be filled with people who are so hardened in their heart. All they want to do is curse God. They utterly reject his truth. They utterly reject the life that he offers them. They utterly reject his son. And consequently, they are judged by God and they are separated from God. And in a way, you could say they get exactly what they want. Life without God. And make no mistake, that is a very miserable, miserable life. And this is why, you see, we do not judge people. This is why we do not seek revenge for ourselves. We let God be their judge. We forgive them. We place them in the hands of God and we move on. And if we don't do that, if we carry around a vengeful spirit, the irony is that that spirit cripples and destroys and virtually possesses us. It owns us. It makes us into a very ugly, very unhappy, very unhealthy person relationally and spiritually speaking. Friends, we are called by Jesus to be different than that, to be a people who practice the art, the difficult art of forgiving. We are called to lay that kind of thing down and to love and to forgive even our enemies and to let God be their judge. And we can do that because we know they will give an account of all their deeds, even the deeds that hurt us. They will give an account of those things before Almighty God. And Jesus will judge justly and he will judge fairly. He knows all about their motives, their brokenness, their heart, their background, their wounds, their sins, which of course you and I do not. And that is comforting. That's encouraging. Justice is coming. Now, second question, what will be judged? How comprehensive will judgment be exactly? The writer of Ecclesiastes says this. He says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. One time Jesus was talking to a group and he said, so do not be afraid of them. That is the people who persecute you. Don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Gulp. <laughs> you know, in our world, whenever we do something wrong, we instinctively try to hide it. Do we not? We, we try to cover it up. We hope nobody will notice. Nobody will see. Nobody will know. But many times we get found out. And when that happens, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. Depending on what it is, it can be very costly, costly to relationships, costly to, you know, forward progress, that kind of thing. And, and, and when we get 
caught like that, what ought to happen is, you know, it, it ought to change us. It ought to lead us to those personal places of repentance, deep repentance. But in our world, often people do wrong things, even very evil things. And if they're clever enough, if they're lucky enough, they get away with it. Uh, sometimes bosses will intimidate their workers or manipulate them or exploit them or abuse them. And their, their, their whole careers uh, go along with that type of practice, that type of evil, that type of thing going on. And yet when it comes time to retire, they retire with honor. Only the workers know. Only the workers. The truth about that person remains covered. And the workers were powerless to do anything about it. Sometimes tyrants oppress people, maybe tens of millions of people, and then they die peacefully in their sleep. Sometimes the wealthy get wealthy by embezzling or cheating or oppressing, uh, and they get richer and they get richer and they never get caught and they never go to jail and they never really seem to suffer for it. They die in the midst of their wealth. Sometimes that happens. And sometimes it looks like Rome is going to get away with all the stuff that Rome does. Sometimes criminal cases go unsolved. Money is stolen. Lives are taken. No one ever gets caught and the case goes unsolved. But one day, understand, all the cover-ups are going to be uncovered. That's what these passages are telling us. The truth about every murder, every war, every dishonest financial transaction, every false word ever spoken, every failed marriage, every political maneuver, every injustice will be completely uncovered. Jesus said this in Luke 12, he said, what you have said in the dark, in other words, secretly, will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms, you know, those secret meetings, will be proclaimed from the roofs, the rooftops. Question, how does that make you feel? Makes me a little weak in the knees hearing that. Because there is stuff that I have said or done in secret that I am not proud of. I, I would feel awful if you knew. And the doctrine of the judgment of God, therefore, ought to cause the wise person to try and live an uncovered life. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the wise person will do their best with Jesus' help, because that's the only way to do this, to bring their private lives, their secret lives out into the open, at least with a few people that they trust and with a few people that they respect. This is why a very, very important part of what the church does, which is community and fellowship, a very important part of that is to be connected with at least a few people who let you get close enough to really, really know you. You know, you, you open up to them, they open up to you, and you know each other's stuff and can help each other process it the way you should process it. These are people who pray for you. These are people who point you to better things and in better directions. They hold you accountable where you need to be held accountable. They point you to Jesus' forgiveness when you fail because you're going to fail. And they encourage you not to live secret lives, bifurcated lives. 
Lives where you say one thing, but you do another. The Apostle John was trying to encourage and challenge his readers one time. This is in 1 John, and he said this. He says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In other words, he's morally perfect. And if we claim to have fellowship or relationship with him and yet walk in, practice the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, relationship, community with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's a beautiful picture of connectedness and living your life in the light of truth, living it in light as opposed to darkness. Deep relationships are vitally important for our spiritual well-being. And in fact, they enable us to become the people that Jesus wants us to be. They help us to get out of the dark and into the light and stay there. And so I'll just ask you a question. Who do you talk to? Who is this friend in your life? the one with whom you can talk about your financial habits, your sexual life. You can talk to this friend or these couple of friends about what tempts you and where you struggle, what choices you make. Who are you developing deep relationships with so that you can walk in the light? And this is one of the reasons why small groups are so important to us. Not everybody in a small group becomes your closest, bestest friend. But we hope that in places like that, those are, those are places where those kinds of friendships can begin and grow. Because we do believe that all of us, all of us need those kinds of relationships to come out of the dark and into the light and be helped along and prayed for and held accountable and encouraged and pointed toward Jesus. Well, one more question. Last question. Will Christians go through the judgment? Romans 2.16. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Will Christians go through the judgment? The answer is yes, absolutely. God will reveal the truth about all things, even his children. At the judgment, there will be no hiddenness. Falsehood will be revealed. The falsehood in us, the falsehoods we've spoken. At the judgment, um, the uh, deeds, all of our deeds, past, present, and the deeds we're yet to even... Um, do, they will be examined and um, they will be made public. They will be brought out into the open. At the judgment, John says, the great and the small will stand before the throne. It'll be a level playing field. Kings will stand next to peasants. CEOs will stand next to assembly line workers. Caesars next to slaves. Politicians next to the proletariat. Status there before the throne, the judgment throne will make no difference whatsoever. And everyone's deeds will be examined. Everything we ever said, ever did, ever thought will be exposed. Now, 
Now, in an odd kind of way, one of the things that this tells us is that our lives matter. Every detail of our lives matter. They matter to God. The good deeds that we do matter. They will be remembered. They will even be rewarded for all eternity. Imagine that. Uh, the, the good deeds that we don't do but should have, uh, along with the bad deeds that we've done, they too matter. They matter so much that they cost Jesus Christ his life when he died on the cross. They matter. The point is, friends, we are all living a life. You could say we're all telling a story by the way we live. We're actually writing a book, so to speak. And that book contains all of our works, all of our deeds, even all of our thoughts. And writing a book is, well, it can be easy. When our kids were little, they would write books, silly little books, stick figures in them, and we would slap them on the refrigerator celebrating the book that our children had written. It was an easy book to, to write. <laughs> Living life can be easy. It can be, thought, it can be done thoughtlessly if one chooses to live that way. But I'll tell you what, writing a good book, well, that's a different story. Um, writing a good book, living well, flourishing, honoring God, that's not necessarily easy. In fact, it's impossible to do without the help of Jesus. But when we follow Jesus, when we let the Holy Spirit use us and empower us and guide us, our lives can be filled with acts of love and acts of courage, generous acts of service and sacrificial witness. In other words, our lives can glorify God, Almighty God, which is why we were put here on this planet to begin with. Now, the truth is, for all of us, followers of Jesus or not followers of Jesus, uh, this book of our deeds, which we all write, which God reads cover to cover, it's kind of a hodgepodge book. I mean, there is stuff in that book that we might be proud of, certain things we accomplished or ways that we helped or served someone else, but there's stuff in that book we're ashamed of. We'd be especially ashamed for it to be made public. And if that was the only book there was, the book that we write, let me tell you, friends, we would all be in very serious trouble. But there's another book. It's talked about in the book of Revelation. We'll get to it in some detail uh, in a few weeks. It's the book of life. And it's a real simple book. It's kind of like a ledger. On the credit side, at the very top is listed the work, the life of Jesus. Uh, things he said, things he did, truth he embodied. It also has there listed the death of Jesus, his death on the cross. It also has listed there the resurrection and how he overcame sin and overcame death. And he's given those things to his followers, to his children, to his people, to anyone trusting in his name. And in the book of life are names. Names of people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation that Jesus has redeemed. And somewhere in that book is your name if you follow Jesus. And friends, it ought to be getting real clear to us by now from our study of this book. God is passionate about fixing what's broken. God is passionate about righting what is wrong. God is passionate about justice and his justice is coming, guaranteed. 
And thank God that it is. Because it's only when his justice comes that we will be fully remade. It's only when his justice comes that the world will then become what it was actually meant to be. People without sin, a world without sin. So thank God, thank God, thank God. Justice has been accomplished for us in Jesus and justice is coming. The Apostle Paul said, these are familiar words to most of you, that there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus followers, when we talk about and think about the justice of God, we should be praying it will come, but we should also be singing and we should be celebrating and we should be saying with the people in the text, which we read this morning, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Amen.